Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning. How are you this morning, Dr. Paul? Are you recovered? We good had morning. a long trip last week, a couple of days away from our office here. I know. And, uh, Out in the desert. Went, went up and helped celebrate uh, 40 years for the Mises Institute. Yeah. That's pretty neat. So it was great. That turned out real nice, yeah. I thought, too. It was a great event. So, uh, anyway, uh, the world still has a few problems here. And, yeah. uh, and we've been talking about it for a long time, since 2014, even though a lot of other people haven't looked at it yet, and even a lot of people don't understand what, what that meant. But that one, of course, was when the... Uh, when the coup occurred and the elected officials, uh, the elected administration of, of uh, Ukraine, uh, favorable toward uh, Russia, which was a sin and a crime and an automatic no. So uh, NATO had to get busy and they said, we, we don't want anybody talking to the Russians. Even though talking to the Russians since the breakdown uh, of the um, Soviet system, you know, hasn't, hadn't gone so bad, you know. It didn't quite work out that everybody had to peace dividends, but the little bit of benefit seemed to be melting away. People can't stand to break out of peace. And so they've been fussing there, especially, you know, for uh, the last uh, year or two, it's gotten much worse. And here, here it's back and forth, and uh, the media's back and forth on it. It's usually, you know, there's one side that blames this group and the other side this one. But in American media, there's only one yeah. one group to blame, and uh, you have to be very, very cautious because if you're not with that group, you could get canceled. So we don't want to lose our privileges <laughs> that uh, we've earned and the government allows us to have every once in a while. But anyway, it was um, it, it was it's it's been trouble. It's, of course a week ago, and we talked a lot about it when they they blew up uh, Nord Stream two yeah. pipelines. That was, to me, a big deal. And that was sort of you know, the crowning blow to the philosophy that you say you trade with people to depend on each other economically, you're less likely to fight with them. But evidently that was overruled. That was voted out of existence. So uh, therefore they didn't want that, uh, the people for various reasons. But it really split Europe. Uh, Europe split on it. Germany was supposed to have some benefits by getting oil. Then they went with NATO and that the whole thing has gotten much worse. But the, the, the violence has escalated. Not only did they have the pipelines go, but uh, the bridge, uh, yeah. Kerch Bridge was blown up, which is a really interesting bridge. It's a beautiful bridge, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, was, it was the con connection, uh, uh, you know, to, to Russia. And that, that was blown up. And now there's retaliation, and it's back and forth. And uh, the Russians said, we're not going to let you get away with this. You're going to have to be punished. So there was a lot of bombing in the last 24 hours. Yeah. 20 cities were hit. People, people were starting to die. Uh, and it's, uh, <coughs> it's not the all-out uh, all war that could happen, which would really be a tragedy. But it certainly is setting the stage for that because uh, of the tragedy of, uh, of two, two factions like this unwilling to sit down and talk a little bit. But uh, I think that um, uh, this is just getting started. Unfortunately, it's going to get much worse. So that we, you almost wake up one way, 
who's retaliating against what today? Yeah. You know, it was it was uh, uh, you, you know Ukraine and then Russia and now I guess Ukraine will come up with something. So we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, we'll do our best to dig this uh, these things out and find out what really is going on. Yeah, you make a good point that you know you're only allowed to take one side. You know, whether it's the monster Saddam, the monster Gaddafi. The American people are always conditioned to take a side, take a side, but take the American side. But, you know, for us, we always take a side, but we always actually take the real American side, which is we should not be involved. We shouldn't have been involved in the coup. We shouldn't have been involved in the Orange Revolution 10 years prior to the coup. We shouldn't have been involved in arming Ukraine. It had nothing to do with us. And then there wouldn't have been a problem. Well, they blame us, but there wouldn't have been any of the conflict. But it has been a pretty dizzying few days. And remember, uh, I woke up the morning after the speech and the big event uh, in Phoenix with Mises. Um, well, actually, I couldn't go to sleep that night <laughs> because that's when the bridge was hit. And that was massive because Putin said, this is one of our red lines. Do not hit the bridge. And as you point out, the whole, the whole history of this conflict has been the Biden administration pushing red lines. How much equipment can we put in there? How much money can we spend buying military equipment for Ukraine? And each time they cross a red line, they push it even further. And I think this is primarily Blinken and Sullivan, the National Security Advisor and the Secretary of State. So at this point, the bluff was called and Putin did respond to the attack on the bridge. Now, the bridge was not taken down. Um, they resumed rail traffic a few hours later and they resumed limited uh, traffic on the automobile section. But I would say for sure that Ukraine achieved a kind of psychological victory by hitting the bridge because that is a symbol of, of Crimea returning to Russia and so hitting that I think is a was a real uh, psychological uh, victory for them. Let's put up that first clip because it was also recognized by Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, that it was a victory. Uh, in fact, they celebrated it very, very strongly for about 24 hours in Ukraine. And this is from Information Liberation, quoting the New York Times, senior Ukrainian official confirms Ukraine orchestrated truck bomb attack on Crimean bridge. And this is Zelensky in his own words, making light and making a joke of the attack on the bridge. He said, today was a good and mostly sunny day for our country. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was cloudy in Crimea, though it was still warm. And behind him, of course, is a picture of the bridge on fire. So making light of it, and in fact, Within hours of the bridge being hit, uh, Ukraine released a stamp. If we could put that next one up, a little bit weird. They must have taken some time to prepare it. They released a postage stamp of the Kerch Bridge on fire. This is from the Telegraph. And they put these stamps in large form throughout Kiev. And people, if we look on the next one, people would go around and take selfies celebrating the blowing up of this bridge, which is a civilian bridge, obviously. Uh, and that was on Putin's birthday, by the way, of course. So that made it even more of a symbolic view. And, and they did celebrate for a while, Dr. Paul. But uh, as you pointed out, if we can go to the next one, I think. Oh, no, let's go back. Just take that down. Yeah. So as we found out, yes, over 100 strikes, probably about 150 strikes. Um, so far, 11 confirmed deaths from the strikes. But apparently the targets have been uh, military, energy, and communication targets throughout Ukraine. Um, from what I've read so far, they're not permanently damaged, but significantly offline. I think they hit, because the SBU, which is Ukraine's intelligence service, was identified as being behind the attack on the bridge, their headquarters got hit in Kiev. So that's a response. 
And just one last thing is what President Putin said as they had completed this first round of, uh, of response. If attempts to carry out terrorist attacks continue, Russia's response will be severe and at the level of the threats facing it. Nobody should be in any doubt. I think it's something that should be taken seriously. You know, I can daydream all I want because it doesn't hurt anybody. <clears throat> I daydream when I look at this and I see that bridge. I think it's magnificent and uh, the geography is such. What if there were factions on both sides of that bridge decided, well, why don't we do everything positive here? We're going to have a free trade zone. We're going to allow people to go back and forth here and, uh, and, and, and trade energy or whatever. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, it becoming the weapon to be used to, uh, you know, extend the war and expand the war. It's exactly the opposite. But that would, uh, you know, that, that bridge uh, is magnificent when you come to technology. And I've always, uh, you, you know... Uh, that, you, you know, I was disappointed with the fact that technology has two purposes, one to advance civilization, one to destroy civilization. Yeah. And, and that's an example that a bridge like that could have expanded, uh, you know, civilization. But it, it's back to how people treat each other. And uh, even though we were on a better path, immediately uh, somebody broke the rules. And tragically, we have to take a position to explain which side really started breaking the rules the earliest. And uh, for me, the tragic uh, of that is that it was, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that it was NATO that did this. And that's uh, been uh, escalated. And then you have to judge, how are they going to retaliate? That is the big thing. Who's going to retaliate and how, how long will it be until uh, it gets out of hand? Well, it's getting pretty close to that. But uh, Zelensky responded to this, and uh, you'll never guess <laughs> what he came out for. Zelensky uh, unleashes fury. I mean, Russia unleashes this fury and all this bombing. Zelensky implores the West for more help. More money. More money. <laughs> $67 billion is not, not quite enough, so we need more. So in one hand, they brag about their ability and their military successes, and we blow up bridges and pipelines, and uh, we're winning the war uh, for the propaganda to convince you know uh, their benefactors, which is the American taxpayer, that this is a war that is very serious. It's a war against uh, goodness and badness, and we need your help. So, but they they want to keep going as usual. They are they're acting like there's no problem. They their legislative body met. They drew up a budget. Yeah. They said. Oh, yeah, do you have any money? Oh, no, we don't have any money. We're just drawing up the budget. The Americans are going to pay. Yeah. Like, stick it to the American taxpayer. Maybe they won't catch on for a little while. Yeah, that's a, such a great point. And, you know, as we move to the election season, uh, Americans who are dealing with inflation, it's pretty bad. Gas prices are back up, I noticed, on the way to work. Um, you're right, and we mentioned this before. <laughs> There's something we saw on antiwar.com. Ukraine's parliament approved a draft budget for 2023 in closed session. The spending plan has a $30 billion deficit, which Kiev largely expects to be covered by Washington. So here we go again. Uh, and at the same time, the backdrop to all this is Biden coming out and saying, we're closer to Armageddon than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I don't know if he really wanted to bring it up in this context, because as we know, we were saved from Armageddon during the Cuban Missile Crisis because cooler heads prevailed and Kennedy decided to talk to Khrushchev and make a compromise, pull our missiles out of Turkey. They pulled their missiles out of Cuba and we lived, you know, another day. That's not happening here. In fact, the Biden administration keeps ramping it up, keeps turning it up. 
moving us closer to Armageddon. You know, there's a saying about follow the money and seeing where it goes. In this case, we want to trace the money backwards. Where did this money come from? And obviously, we talk about it all the time. The money's coming, uh, you know, from from NATO, allies in Europe, uh, the American government, the, the international bodies, NATO and the United Nations. But then where'd they get it? Well, I'll go back one more step. Well, taxpayers have to pay and they contribute to this. Uh, I, I think uh, we had a most recent president, a Republican, pointed out that uh, most of it's coming from us. Yeah. <laughs> and he said that that shouldn't be. So here it is, you go all the way back. Now, the American people, We'll look at this because the propaganda is so incessant. Uh, there's not many who uh, will say objectively, you know, m maybe uh, maybe the uh, Liberty Report has a point. Maybe we ought to just stay out of this. And to tell you the truth, I th when we come back from a conference like we had, there are some friends out there oh, that yeah. would, would go along with that. So that's the, that's the whole thing. People need to do it because when, when they hear this, they'd like to ignore it. Oh, that's a long way off. The Russians were, you know, we had to put up with those Russian communists for yeah. so long. It has to be the Russians' fault. So they, they do this and they rationalize, but they never come back and say, well, it's the American taxpayers that pay in the bill. They say, yeah, but uh, everybody wants to loan us money and the dollar seems to be holding up pretty good. I say, yeah, except when you want to use it to buy groceries. Yeah, That's yeah. what you have to remember. At the end of this week, there are going to be more statistics. And uh, you mentioned <laughs> this morning, you know, I think the oil, the gasoline prices are going to go back up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's it. And they don't put it all together. Uh, and it's superficial. And there's still this illusion about you can trust your government. And you have, you have some Republicans here that can't, it's a certain amount, not, not all of them, that they, that they are the pro-defense pro people, military spending. And then uh, there's, there's another group that, uh, you know, they, they'll, take, they'll take the money and uh, they, they will promote their social welfare program. Yeah. And it's all for good purposes. And they never, even over this weekend, they made an effort to bring up this subject you know, because symbolically, you know, folks, there's $31 trillion. Yeah. Pretty soon it's going to add up to a lot of money. Yeah. Where do you think it's coming from? But they don't make the connection. And that's what uh, they're going to make, ha have the connection. But then if they don't understand it, they're going to offer somebody and something or some group of people that are going to be more false promises because people will panic and say, Anything now, we just can't put up with the tragedy that's going on. Look at the tragedy in Ukraine, and look at the tragedy in our inner cities. Yeah. If we, they have to be channeled and, and ex get the information to know which direction they ought to be going. And it certainly isn't more government authoritarianism. That's where the problem comes from. Yeah. And we are the actual pro-defense people, right? <laughs> We're pro-defense. They're pro-military. I mean, yeah. you can't, if you go and sock somebody in the nose and he hits you back, well, that wasn't defensive. You, you, you brought it on. So, yeah, we want a strong defense for our country, not for others. Let's put on this next one. Now, this is the idea. You, you like to talk about, Dr. Paul, how insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, here is the prime minister of Estonia next to von der Leyen, who is the European commissioner. Um, and she says, the Estonian prime minister, she says, my message with von der Leyen at the Narva border crossing with Russia on the other side. The best way to be with Ukraine right now is to speed up our support. <laughs> so basically send them more weapons because that'll get them to stop. Well, how's that working? And I want to put up another tweet because this is someone I have a lot of respect for. 
Um, he's a brilliant mind, brilliant entrepreneur, um, very, very quick thinker. Um, Kim.com has a great tweet, and I think he really covers it well. He says, every image or video that you see of people suffering or dying in Ukraine is in the name of the U.S. dollar. This war is the result of arrogant, selfish, and malicious U.S. foreign policy. Ukraine is a tool for the U.S. government to achieve its objectives, and the EU is being sacrificed too. That's a great, great observation on Kim.com, who, by the way, is on the death list for the Ukrainian government. Remember Daria Dugino, he wrote about this week. She was on the death list, and she was killed. So is Kim.com. So, by the way, is Rand Paul, by the way, so, and Doug McGregor. So pretty serious stuff, but I think he nails it there with that tweet. You know, they have all these fancy things, these nice things, defending the Constitution and peace and prosperity and on, on the side of goodness and greatness for us to keep in, in, involved. But if it would narrow down to saying, well, why, why should we consider, you, you know, uh, $16 billion uh, for this war, and we want more, and Zelensky will get more. You, you can't walk away. That takes 15 or 20 years yeah. to walk away. You know? So, uh, but what if they said, well, you, you know, we need this appropriation, and uh, I go down on the house floor, and I say, well, you know, uh, I had somebody come to my office today, and they said they'd like us to pass this bill uh, because our profits have just dropped off. And there's a lot of people depend on us, their employees. So don't you <clears throat> think you can bend a little bit and vote for this uh, militarism? Because it's good for profits. But, but never, you never hear that. You, you hear uh, a much, much uh, uh, more saintly, uh, you know, saying all this goodness and wonderful thing that we're going to do and save the world. And uh, it looks like they brought the Germans and the Russians got back together and uh, they're going to live in peace forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on a little bit because this is an interesting one because this is challenging a narrative um, that has been very strong since the 2020 election. Let's put on this next one. This is originally from the Washington Post, a majority of GOP nominees, 299 in all, deny the 2020 election results. This is a survey that the Washington Post did of Republican nominees for the House, Senate, and key statewide offices, and they discovered that the majority have denied or questioned the outcome of the last presidential election. And of course, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to suggest that these weren't the cleanest, freest, fairest elections in history. But there's going to be a problem if these guys get elected and guys and gals get elected because the narrative is going to take a real beating when people who don't believe it and don't buy into it start speaking up. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting because once a movement starts like that, it's slow and tedious. A lot of people remain silent, you know, oh, I, it's, it's a negative and I don't want to be canceled and I don't want to be challenged and I want my committee assignment. But once it moves over, and this looks like a big deal, because if this actually happens, and like you say, if they get elected, uh, people will know, then it's going to snowball. They have already started talking about the leaders in the House of Representatives may be different in yeah. this go-around. Maybe, maybe the establishment Republicans won't be reelected. You know, uh, this Congresswoman Green, yeah. <laughs> they said she, she's going up in the polls, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden. But, of course, they had blackballed her and everything. Yeah. She's lucky she's still there. She definitely shoots from the hip. <laughs> but, you know, here's from the Post article. Put up that next clip. Because as you, as you suggest, this is exactly what they're saying. The implications will be lasting, of course, of these people getting elected. 
if Republicans take control of the House, as many political forecasters predict, election deniers <laughs> would hold enormous sway over the choice of the next speaker, who in turn could preside over the House in a future contested presidential election. So they clearly are worried. They're clearly worried that the narrative that they put out is uh, under threat. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the article, the, um, uh, an author of New York University historian and author of Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present, said, election denialism is a form of corruption. And uh, the Zero Hedge article that, that we saw about it um, then links to, which I didn't have, I didn't put it up here, but links to a YouTube of Democrat after Democrat after Democrat denying elections, including Hillary. <laughs> yeah. She did it so many times with a woman in, uh, in uh, Georgia. In Georgia, yeah. yeah. She didn't, she, and then she said, I didn't, she denied denying, right? <laughs> yeah. But they're on tape, they do it over and over and over. So when they lose, it's rigged. But when their opponents lose, don't you dare say it's rigged. So they, they have to, uh, you know, blast it. Denialism. So <laughs> Denialism. Denialism, a form of corruption. And, uh, and you see the word terrorism even yeah, popping yeah. up. So this, this is serious stuff. But what, what if uh, they say, well, does that mean that we're not allowed uh, to have a, a fair count? If people cheat, uh, should we not say anything? What, what kind of a system is that? That, that makes democracy look uh, pretty, pretty negative. Of course, the founders would be, you know, I still, that still is an annoying thing when people highly praise, the, they'll say that we, what we have to do and they'll be right on a bunch of issues. But the whole purpose of our existence is to make, make a democracy, you know, a sacred honor, you know, and, and of course, the, the word was never used. The founders couldn't stand that. It's and the best thing is becomes a dictatorship yeah. of, the, of, of a majority. And in the way it is today, especially with social media and all, the majority can be manipulated. So they turn it around. Somebody wants a fair count, and then they're denialists, they're corrupt, they're terrorists, and everything else. And you can't even even question it. And generally, that's been accepted. I, I remember. Uh, when Nixon lost a close race to Kennedy, and there was a lot of corruption up in Cook County yeah. in Chicago, but but uh, even even Nixon knew at the time, oh, you don't want to rock the boat, and I guess under the short term, <laughs> his strategy worked because he did become president. But uh, it's it's the whole thing if you if you're looking for a fair count, and I keep thinking about uh, my meager experience in Texas with my own race. I know I've, I know how they will operate, and even I. I was a neophyte. I had no no cloud. I didn't. But they were they were the, the evidence is there. Just take my word for it. it. It was there about what they did to keep me from winning yeah. a, a particular race. And uh, they they uh, the, the other one in Texas, which is notorious, and that is LBJ. Oh yeah. It, it, just look at that. But you know. The final end of LBJ, he uh, he resigned in disgrace. Yeah, you know, and that that was a big issue. I remember that moment <laughs> when LBJ says, "I'm dropping out of this yeah. race," and it had to do, you know, with the people waking up and they were in the streets and they were saying, "We're sick and tired of this war in Vietnam." <laughs> but the whole thing is, th this is the craziness of politics. So this gave Nixon an opening. So Nixon gets in, and 34,000 more Americans were killed after he was elected. Yeah. 
So that's why I believe in preventative medicine, you know, take care of our health. Why don't we take good care of the health of our freedoms here in our hometowns? And the answer to all these election problems is not one centralized U.S. election, you know. Uh -huh. I mean, I remember the cleanest election I ever monitored was so simple. It was in a small precinct. There were representatives from every party. The ballots were paper, and they were put out for everyone to see. We voted for X. Everyone agrees. Next one, you know, put it in the pile. After they all agreed, all parties signed the process for all. We all agree with the results. They packed them up, sealed it, and sent it to the, you know, to the district. And, and that's clean. Why can't they do it that way? You could, you could do that when you mention smaller units. Yeah. And that's what uh, representative government should be. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be the, the, these massive numbers. And, and then the, this whole thing is, oh, you don't have to register. Are you a citizen? Don't you bother me with that question. <laughs> yeah. What makes you think I have to be a citizen yeah. to vote here? <laughs> I, I don't know how they do it now, but I know when I move from one state to another, uh, I'd have to go to the courthouse and re-register. Yeah. You know, at least they kept a little tabs on people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going to close it out today, Dr. Paul, with a surprise for our uh, viewers. And I, this is a picture that I snapped while we were in Phoenix. And I just, I think it's a great picture. I cropped it a little bit. But here's you and Lou Rockwell sitting up there on the stage before the main event. Uh, it was just such a great time. Uh, it's just a great picture of, of you and Lou, I have to say. Lou was in such a, a good spirits. He, he, he got a very, very well-deserved Lifetime Achievement Award from the Mises Institute for his unbelievable work on freedom for decades. So I just wanted to put that up for our viewers to see what a great picture that is. Um, and I will finally close by putting up the last one. We have just a couple weeks left now to get your tickets. We still have tickets available. Come down in Lake Jackson if we can put that last one up. Cancel culture and the war on speech is what we're talking about. Uh, it's ugly. I would say this banner is ugly. I know you think it's ugly, Dr. Paul, but it's also ugly to yell people down, to shout people down, to punch people in the nose for what they have to say, to cancel them. So that's what we're going to talk about. We had Del Bigtree on the show last week. Great show, I think. Del's going to be there. He's a very, very uh, magnetic personality and very dynamic speaker. So he's going to have a lot of great stories to tell. So I will put in the link uh, a way to get your tickets and come down here to Texas, Lake Jackson, and visit with some like-minded people on cancel culture and what we can do to push back. Very good. <clears throat> I, too, had a good time at the Mises Function celebrating 40 years. Lou had been working with me in the Congress and was there when we had the, commission, uh, the Gold Commission. So uh, we, we had worked a long time and I, you know, endorsed the beginning of the Mises Institute. But even with that, and even though there were so many friends there and they were always so generous, giving me more credit than I really deserved. But I'll tell you what, uh, I still think an inst institute like the Mises Institute, and in my mind, I like to think that all people who work in, uh, in promoting our cause and our, our liberties and understanding what freedom is all about, the model that the Mises Institute had uh, is not the model everybody will use, but it was, was academic, it was uh, ideas, ideas have consequences, the ideas of the people make a big difference, and uh, they have been very, very successful. It has made a big difference, and yet 
Uh, I even made the remark at the, at the function that, you know, Lou, I said, I have to tell you the truth. When, when you wanted to do this, I said, you know that there's only two people in Congress that ever heard of Mises, and uh, yet that is not the case today. Uh, that, that is not the case. So it, it is something that uh, you can't really measure. You don't know how many people an organization like Lou has influence, how many teachers there are, how many writers, and, and it's unknown how many, what the influence is. It's unknown, and I, I like the biblical story about the remnant, because when you get to spawn and say, there's nobody out there, and uh, yet we find out that there are people out there more than that we know about, and that you, you can't kill the spirit of liberty. And I think that's the thing that we work here to make sure that people don't forget about the spirit of liberty. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.